Good evening. Tonight, we're going to go through the book of James, chapter 1. And the book of James is probably the oldest book in the New Testament. Scholars believe it was written about 45 A.D. and that James himself was martyred, according to the historian Josephus, in A.D. 62. So, let's get a little bit about James. In the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 3, they were speaking about Jesus, and they said, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Jude and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at Jesus. Now, just that. Imagine if you were the half-brother to Jesus Christ. You know, here's a guy that fed 5,000, raised Lazarus from the dead, walked on water. So... If you had all of this behind you and someone asked to write a letter, wow, you know, would you start it out with stuff like that? But let's see how James starts it out. In James chapter 1, verse 1, James starts, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now right there, servant, he's not just a servant. He was a bond servant. A servant by choice. And he specifically tells us that he is a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he knew at this time Jesus was the Son of God. Now, A bondservant was a servant by choice. And if you wanted to become a bondservant, they put a little hole in your ear with an awl, and all the time now, you were devoted to your master. If you were a regular servant because you owed money, after that debt was paid, you were set free. The Jews had a thing where if you were indentured, after seven years you could go free. But a bond servant was a servant till he died. And so this is what James is saying. And then he goes on to say, To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Now, just from this statement about the 12 tribes, we know that the temple was not yet destroyed. So people believe the temple was destroyed in about 50 A.D. or so. But at this point in time, James is saying to all the 12 tribes, greetings. And this greeting, he's telling them to rejoice, to be glad, And it's also like a salutation, like we would say hail or something like that. This was it. Now, to go on, 
Okay, this is the way James opens his book up. But now in James 1, 2, he's going to get into the purpose of trials. And in James 1, 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it all joy. That's like saying, man, hit me again because it feels so good when you stop. You know, but here James is saying, count it joy. To be happy. And then he goes on and he talks about temptation. And temptation, we found out, could be a trial. Approving of a person's fidelity, integrity, virtue, consistency. So this was it. So we could look at this temptation like a test. You know, and when I started thinking about this, remember in school when you would have a test and the teacher would tell you, Friday we're going to have a test. A lot of kids, Monday and Tuesday, started studying for it. Some, like me, probably Thursday night, I would crack a book. But what words did you hate to hear from a teacher? He walked in the room, and the teacher says, Hey, we're going to have a surprise quiz today. Oh, no. This is like what James is saying. You're going to get a quiz and count it joy. Now, we can go on and we can look at where do temptations come from? In the book of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 16, he says, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Okay? Lust of the flesh, the desires that you have that you want fulfilled. And one of the big ones that a lot of people do is eating. Okay? The lust of the eyes, what I see, I want. About Thirty years ago, Peter, Paul, and Mary had this song they called the wedding song. And Paul Stuckey did a quote that could loosely be looked at from the Bible. But he talked about how he saw this girl and he thought, I want you, I'm going to have you, and you're going to be mine. This is the thing that what we see, we want it. And then the third one is the pride of life. Or we could say the pride of life's possessions. Now, this three things that cause temptation are nothing new. We can go back into Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And this is where Satan is going to tempt Eve. And we're told that 
as Satan talked to her in Genesis 3.6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, okay, good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and then, and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave it also to her husband, and he did eat. So here it was. Satan used this sin on Eve, and in John, he's telling us that he still does it. But we can see more from James. In James 1.3, he says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patient. So, how many have ever prayed for patience? If you're praying for patience, you're praying for adverse circumstances to come into your life. It's not like you can go by the offering box and, gee, there's a box of patience. I'll take a couple. No, you have to go through trials to learn patience. And what is patience? Patience is described as steadfastness, consistency, endurance. In the New Testament, it's the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety, even in the greatest trials and suffering. Okay? Patient can also mean to wait for. You know, Jesus tells us to be patient and to wait for him to return. And so many people can't understand that. And so many people, when they go through trials, they think, I'm the only one going through this. Nobody ever went through what I'm going through. But in 1 Corinthians 10.13, we're told, There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape. A lot of preachers preach on this. And if you just heard that, that, wow, I'm going to get tempted, God's going to make a way to escape, I can get out of it, why am I going through troubles? Because they didn't read the whole verse. The last few words of the verse are that ye may be able to bear it. Okay? When we want something from God, we'll pray. And gee, I prayed on Monday at 9 o'clock. Monday at 5 o'clock, I still had the problem. God, what's going on? But God's saying that when we're being tempted... He's going to give us a way that we can endure or bear this temptation. 
So, we can go on in James chapter 4. And James talks about, But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So patience is a process. And James is telling us when we're in these trials or temptations to let patience do its job. You know, and I thought about that and I came across a silversmith. If you're working with silver, one of the first things they do is they heat it up to get the impurities out. And I was reading this article by this author, and she said she went to a silversmith and says, can you show me how you get these impurities out? So the silversmith started melting this silver, and stuff would come to the top, and he would clean it off. And then she said, wow, this is pretty neat. How do you know when it's clean enough? And the silversmith says, when I can see my face in the molten silver, I know it's clean enough. And this is what God wants us to do with patience, to become more like Jesus. And it's not a once in a lifetime process. Okay? So when he talks about patience, He says, is patience and not wanting, lacking nothing, is to bring something to completeness. James wants us to all come to completeness in Jesus Christ. And Paul in Colossians 1.28 says, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect or complete in Jesus Christ. So that's the goal of God, and that's the goal of these trials we're going through. When we talked about the kid in school, You didn't necessarily like a test, but when that test was completed, depending on your grade, you would know how well you knew that subject. And in our faith, by the testing of our faith, we'll see, number one, how much we have. Dr. Erwin Lutzer, who used to be president of Moody Bible Institute, made the comment that faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. You know, you can all say, I have faith, I have faith. But how do you know how well that faith is? Is by trials that come. And so... Dr. Lutzer said, if you never test that faith, you can't trust it when you're going to really need it. In James 1.6, now, he's going to talk about wisdom. And he says, 
If you want wisdom, let him ask in faith, God, nothing wavering. For he who wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. And in James 1.5, where he talks about the wisdom starting this, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and abradeth not, and he, it shall be given him. If we ask God for wisdom, we're told God's going to give it to us, and he's not going to make us feel bad about asking for it. Okay? If we come to God and ask for wisdom, God's great. You want it? I'm going to give you a bunch of wisdom. But there's a caveat here. James 1.6 But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So, God wants us to be resolute in what we're asking for. If you're in the business world, how often do you come across a customer that says, oh, I would like this? And then a little later, oh, no, maybe not. Maybe I want this. Okay? So if it's in a restaurant, the chef cooks it, brings it out. Ah, oh, nah, maybe the other. And so you get frustrated. Now, God doesn't get frustrated, but when we ask God something, God wants us to be all in for what we're asking for. You know, and then in one seven, he says, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. In our lives, how often do we pray? And will we pray for something one time? And then we forget about it. God wants us to keep coming, keep asking Him, and He's going to do it. Or we'll pray for something and then, oh, I knew God wouldn't do it. And so we go on with our lives. God knows the thoughts we have in ourselves. So God says, if you're double-minded, unstable, sorry. Then he, he goes on, James goes on in one nine, And he says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. Okay? With God, God doesn't look at people and show partiality. So the lowest person with God can be exalted. But then James also goes on in 1.10, But let the rich, in that he is made low, because of the, as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. Everything that we have in this life, we're not going to be able to take it the other side of the grave. It's like somebody said, I've never seen a hearse 
pulling a U-Haul trailer behind it. And so rich people, once this life is over, their riches no longer matter. The poor person can be exalted. God is no respecter of person. James 1.11, For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withers the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Okay, we can be rich here on the earth, but once we die, that's it. So if we put our hope, if we put our trust in our riches, once we're dead, it's no longer any good. Okay, now, James 1.12, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to them that love him. So the person that is tempted, this is actually a test, and this thing where he talks about uh, enduring in that, this was like a thing that they did with money. In the ancient times, money was stamped out of copper or whatever. And that money was tested to see if it was real money or not. And this is what James is telling us, that we're tested, and when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life. If we're tried and we pass that test, we're going to receive the crown of life. But there's also another thing that we can tie this to, We will look at John 14:15. And Jesus is talking, and Jesus says, "If you love me, keep my commandments." So this is a test of us. We can see how much we love Christ by His commandments that we keep. Okay, James 1.13, Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. Okay, so according to this verse, God doesn't tempt us. So then how are we tempted? James 1.14 has the answer. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, 
certain words that the New Testament uses, that the Bible uses, we can easily understand where they came from. Like the word sin. Sin was an archer's term, which meant, I missed the bullseye. This thing here for temptation now, where he talks about in one fourteen. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own flesh and enticed. And this enticed is a very interesting word. It's actually a fishing term. Enticed is the bait that you use to catch your fish. And if you're a fisher person, you might know, well, I'm going to use this type of lure. I'm going to use this type of worm. I'm going to cast off through the weeds and slowly pull it and get a fish. This is what James is saying with enticed. This is what Satan is doing. Satan wants to get us to sin. So this is one of the ways he's going to do it. Now, when I thought about this, I thought about fishermen we have here. They always talk about the fish I caught was this big. And I had to fight it for two hours, but it was this big. Then I started wondering, what are the demons in Satan doing? Are they being vocal about how big of a temptation they had to put out there to snare someone? Or are they looking at how small it was? Oh, that guy, he calls himself a Christian. I just dropped five bucks from this person's back pocket on the floor and they picked it up and put it in theirs. You know, so this is it. How are we looking at temptation? And then it goes on to talk about that fisher person. No matter what that bait is that he's using, that fish has the option, either I'm going to grab for that bait or I'm not. In the same way, we have the option with temptations. Either I'm going to grab for them or I'm not. And James 1.15 tells us, this is again, he's, he's talking still about lust. When lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin when it is finished brings forth death. Okay? So first off, just this term conceived shows a definite action. Okay? We acted on this, and now the result of that was sin. And now if we keep going in sin, sin when it's finished, James 1.15 tells us, is going to bring forth death. We know physical death, But more importantly, if we keep on sinning, 
we're stuck in spiritual death. Okay? James now in 1.16, he's saying, Do not err or do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Okay? To be deceived or to err is a leading away from the truth. Okay? We can be led away from the path of virtue to go astray. We can be led astray by friends. But in all these different ways, we can be led astray. The church today has all kinds of things that are leading people that go to the church astray. And in Romans 6.15, Paul says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. There are a lot of churches that say, once you accept Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what you do. You can do it. You're saved. It's okay. When my wife and I were dating, we taught in a Southern Baptist coffee house in Southern California. The name of this coffee house was the Fire Escape because they felt that so many people come to Jesus just to escape the fire of hell. But their life shows no change. So, we should be seeing a change in our lives. James 1.17 James says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So here James is telling us Good gifts come from God. God never changes. Okay? He's the Father of lights. So James is letting us know this God that made everything wants to give us gifts. Now, if you ever had children and it gets near Christmas time, you know, they like to ask for certain gifts. Mom, Dad, I really need this. Oh, I need this gun. Oh, I need this game. Whatever. But who determines what the gift is, is the giver of the gift. And James is telling us that everything God gives us is good, and it's perfect. Okay. James goes on then in 118, speaking of God, of his own free will begat us, begat us he with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So God's pouring into our lives. 
We should be first fruits. We should be ready to be given back to God. Okay, and James is looking at this. And then in 119, he says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Okay? How many of us are swift to hear? Or, when we're in a conversation, is the impetus for us to think of an answer? Well, here James is telling us, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You know, um, if you're the type of person that deals with anger, you know there are certain triggers that can trigger that. So you could be in a conversation, someone could be speaking, and now something happens and you just explode and go ballistic on them. And you've sinned. James is saying, no, that shouldn't be the way we as Christians act. And a good example from the Bible is David in 2 Samuel chapter 25 where he's dealing with Nabal. His men are hungry and Nabal's got all these sheep. He's real rich. So David sends some guys down to him and says, Hey, you know, can we get food? When your shepherds were watching the flocks near us, we didn't take anything from them. We protected them. Could you help us? And Nabal, like a lot of rich people, said, Who's David? I don't know him. How do I know what he did? No, I'm not going to give you anything. So David's servants went back to him and told David this. Now, being a man, what did David do? Told 400 of his men, grab your swords and let's go and we're going to kill him. So David let himself be carried away by anger and wrath. But in that chapter, we're also told about Nabal's wife, Abigail, and how she, in humility, got a bunch of stuff together, went out to David, and apologized for her husband, and said, you know, wow, what you're going to do to my husband, do to me. And then she goes on and starts talking to David, And David's listening because when she gets done, David tells her, Wow, you stopped me from doing a great evil to Nabal and in the sight of God. So how many of us do we just vent our emotions and we're hurting people around us and ultimately we're hurting God? Okay, 
James 1.21, again to talk about righteousness and that, he says, Wherefore, lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Okay? So when God's word comes to us, we should be putting aside the bad things that we've done, and we should receive the word of God with meekness. James goes on in 123, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. So first off, James is given us two contradictory things. A hearer of the word or a doer of the word. So many people today are under the assumption that as long as I say something well, that's okay. I heard an author that gave a quote and he said, well done is better than well said. You know, what are we doing with our lives? James talked about us being first fruits. Are we actually fruit or not? Okay, James 1.24, he's talking again back about this guy that looks at his face in a glass. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. If we're just looking at things, we can see something, we'll go away, and we forget it. Often I'll go into a room, and the first thought that had come to my mind is, why did I come in here? And then I'll think, can't think of anything, I'll turn around and walk out of the room, and then, oh yeah, I remember now, so i got to go back in there. And if you just hear the Word of God, it's the same way in your life. You've heard it, and it's gone. You know, it's, it's like between one ear and the other ear, who knows what's there, but it's gone. I once, I once had a teacher that told me, I'm an authority on outer space. And I thought, really? She said, yeah. Your head's full of it. So, you know, but this is how we can be with the Word of God. If we just listen, we forget what we've heard. But if we go on now, in James 1.25, and James says, But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, 
This man shall be blessed in his deeds. So God's telling us, if we obey the word, the word is being acted out in our lives, we're going to be blessed. Okay, James 1.26, If any man among you seems to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This man's religion is vain. Okay, we can't judge people. We can't judge if someone's a Christian or not. But we can see evidence by what they do. And if a person can't hold back his mouth, but just spews out whatever comes into it, we can say, hmm, possibly this person is not a Christian. And earlier we saw in James that we should be able to hold our tongues. You know, um, I have problems with stuff and myself and a friend were going through a book which is very interesting and the title of the book is It's Better to Hold Your Tongue Than Eat Your Words. And so often I think as Christians, we can say that. In James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Okay? If we Christians, we're going to do things for people even if they can't do anything for us in return. And this was the thing, the widows, the fatherless. But also, he goes on to say here, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. We can be in the world and the world can have an effect on us. You know, Tony Evans talks about how as Christians, we're like ships. And he says the purpose of a ship is to be on the water and get things done. But if that water gets into the ship, bad things are going to happen. And it can be the same way with us. We can be like Lot was, where he got near the Sodom, and he just pitched his tent there. Oh, there was shade or whatever. We go back a little later, and now Lot is part of the government of Sodom. And we can see that Lot was being changed and not for the better. 
If we look at government today, well, we don't want to go there, but, uh, you know, not so much good in it. And yet God tells us that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then he'll forgive our sins and heal the land. So from James, we should be happy that we're being tested. Because by that test, I'm going to see, am I becoming more like Jesus? Or do I still have a lot of ground to cover? You know, somebody said that every action we do is going to bring us closer to God or a step away. And every action that we do with non-Christians is going to bring them one step closer to Jesus or one step further back. So, you know, I really like this first chapter of James because as I read it, there's a lot in my life that I can evaluate. And then I can come to God and I can ask God to give me the strength to help me overcome things. When I'm in an uncomfortable situation, I can ask God for the patience to stay in this with him. You know, in closing, I I saw someone that said, uh, I prayed last night, I'm done with this. I can't put up with it anymore. And they said, this morning, God told me in prayer, I'm glad you're done. Now I can start working. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you've given us everything we need for life, health, and godliness. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with us Help us to look at ourselves in light of your word. And help us as we look at ourselves not to forget what we see, but act on it. And Lord, if we're pleasing to you, we're thankful and would you just keep us doing those type of things. But Father, if I'm being led astray, if I'm falling for various bait Lord, just help me to deny that and to trust you to bring me through it. Father, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.